So do I think it's a smart idea to go to some of the worst parts of our cities and buy real estate? I think it's a terrible idea. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today on the show, we're going to code crack the smart economy. We're actually going to delve into whether brains make a difference when it comes to how property growth performs. Tell you what, I'm coming to you on a public holiday, it's about 37 degrees where I am sitting. I think I may have sunstroke, but we soldier on and today we're going to explore something really, really awesome when it comes to the future of property investment. I think it's so shrewd to stop for a moment, moment and look into how society is actually forming, and what areas in society are actually going to be market leaders. As a property investor, pigeon pairing our real estate with market leading trends is pretty smart. The jobs of tomorrow are not the jobs of today. So just perhaps when you think about what I'm going to talk about today, it will give you a little bit of an insight into potentially investing in a certain area or in a certain property type so that you can bulletproof your property investment for 2030. Now think about where we were, for example, in 2004. You were probably, if you were alive then, you probably had a phone and I guarantee you it was probably a Nokia. You were cruising around with a Nokia. It was probably a little flip phone. And the most you could probably do with that phone is call someone or text or play Snake on your phone. You couldn't really do much with it. But I think when we all had our Nokia phone back in 2004, we probably... If someone told us today we can literally do our job, our office is our phone, we can, uh, we can do FaceTime, we can do so much with our phone, we wouldn't have believed people. See, change is happening at a blistering pace across society and we only have to remember a decade and a half ago, how simplistic life actually was. When I started in real estate, to communicate with people was the telephone or you wrote them a letter. And today, the idea of just writing a letter to someone seems so archaic. In fact, if you do a handwritten note today, it's kind of seen as going over and above the norm and, of course, is considered a rather polite gesture. So what will 2030 have in store for us and why is it important for you as a property investor to heed what I'm saying? Who cares about 2030? I'm 
here in 2020 and I want to make some money from real estate. Well, sadly, it won't work like that. We have to actually pigeon pair what we buy today, where we buy today with the economy of tomorrow. Where the hell are all the jobs going? Today in coronavirus, we are seeing jobs across planet Earth being shredded like never before. In America, there is 30 million people unemployed. One in five persons is unemployed. Here in Australia, you will walk past every 10th person and sadly, they're not going to have a job. In fact, it could even escalate a little bit higher than that. So when the economy rebounds and the government's doing everything they can to try and help a rebound of economics and jobs, we have to pull back the blanket and realise that many people actually may never get a job again in the economy we currently live in. Many people who are 55, 60, who have been laid off, probably is not even practical for them to go and start a new career again. Many Australians and Kiwis will go into early retirement if they're unlucky enough to be part of the economy, which is being affected in the broader sense. So how will the evolving economy drive real estate decisions? How is the knowledge economy going to affect property investment? These are questions I have, and I've been studying the idea of investing in smart cities where smart people are for quite a long time. The future is a decentralised economy in Australia and New Zealand, the whole world. To understand the decentralised economy, you can look no further than, for example, Bitcoin. It's a currency which is a crypto currency which anyone in the world can use without using their central economy. I can give people work today in countries all over the world. We are really decentralising. I have some great team members that I work with from Argentina, from the Philippines, and from the United States of America, all of whom are decentralised to their economy. In other words, we now have a global workforce which, again, is reshaping how real estate communities actually could unfold. So I have designed a methodology or a system, a model, if you like. And the model of a property investment I choose to teach people is very much driven by the basic human needs of people. In 1943, Abraham Maslow published a theory of human motivation, which went on to be called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. In a nutshell, it puts forward the theory that our basic human needs must be satisfied by five elements. Those primary needs include shelter and property, which of course everyone needs a roof over their head. And because of Maslow's hierarchy of needs of shelter, real estate is a great asset class, but it does run deeper than that. And I think to understand why we should be considering some further hierarchy of needs, 
when it comes to being a property investor and knowledge being one of them is that Maslow was a pretty smart guy. The primary needs include shelter and property, employment and financial security, basic socialising and belonging, food and water, self-actualization, which is really the knowledge part, and finally health and well-being. Now, the model I've developed is live, work, play, mobility, knowledge and wellness. Today in the model which I teach people and why I teach it is simply the argument is more capital growth can be created if we model ourselves out as to what people want. Wellness is a big, big thing. Today I'm not going to talk about wellness, but the reason I'm doing a podcast on a public holiday in the middle of a 37 degree day just been down to my beach, which is literally 100 metres away from where I live, been out and about all morning, I'm absolutely roasted, I haven't slip slop slap properly, and uh, I've come back in for a little bit of shelter. But I tell you what, my wellness community where I live is absolutely full of unwell people today. People have driven across what would seem the entire city to be in my suburb today. Again, I'm lucky enough to just walk out to, of my house to my third place, which is an awesome, cool little Sydney Harbour beach, but not everyone has the ability to do that. Again, how valuable are wellness areas into the future? Well, they'll become even more valuable, and that's why wellness is a big part of my model. But today, we're not talking about wellness uh, we're going to talk about knowledge, the idea of smarts and what it means to us as property investors. Now, probably the smartest investor on planet Earth is Warren Buffett. Now, Warren Buffett was recently quoted in saying, only buy something that you'd be perfectly happy to hold if the market shut down for 10 years. How interesting is that statement? Now we are basically in a shutdown economy because of coronavirus. I tell you what, when I think of that statement, only buy something that you'd be happy to hold if the market was not going to work. That's what he's saying. He's giving us an absolute value bomb with this statement. So, I love the idea of investing in things that I would be happy to hold if the market is going to be stagnant. And arguably, the market market will recover and we probably will see some broader growth for many parts of the market. But it's those areas where ultra-sophisticated demand will go to which will become extremely valuable into the future. There's a couple of reasons why it's all gelling together. And this podcast is about giving you the recipe of how it all comes together. Where will the growth be? Where will the risk be? These are the questions we now need to ask ourselves as a property investor. So we just go out and buy any old property or should we actually ascertain that much of the economy is at risk? However, where there is risk, there's also growth and value and opportunity. 
And the idea that Maslow had, which I'm copying, is fairly simple. In the urban behavioral economy, the behavior of the future, there are two extreme ones which are exciting, wellness and knowledge. So today we're going to examine smart areas for capital growth, the link to the current economy, and really what smart local government areas mean to property investors. And I think if we can put that recipe together, we might just walk away from this podcast absolutely a little smarter ourselves. Here's what I can tell you about real estate in general. We have high prices in New Zealand and Australia, but that actually shouldn't detract from the truth. In the long run, the price of real estate is the best available indicator of the effective demand. So in other words, over the long run, the price of real estate, even though it is expensive, actually symbolizes demand. Demand for a particular place. And what we are seeing is smart communities and smart properties pulling away from the pack. So in other words, let's unpack that little statement. The demand for properties in knowledge areas and wellness areas are pulling away from the pack and becoming more expensive. The price is the indicator of demand. People are paying millions. It's an indicator. However, as a property investor, we can quite often go to one of the worst suburbs where properties are cheap. And this is a, always a big argument for property investors. Oh, should I buy something cheap? $100,000, $300,000. Well, quite often, the reality is why they're cheap is there is no effective demand for the product. And so we have to understand the best companies in the world, the best properties in the world, have a high price tag because they are actually in demand. As a property investor, I prefer to shop on the high end of the demand section of the market for in the investor range. Let's say investors spend 500, 600, 700, or actually let's start again. Let's say investors spend two, three, four, five, six, or $700,000. I generally prefer to shop in that five, six, $700,000 mark because again, you have to appreciate that no one wants to see themselves at the bottom of the market. The middle of the market is a much better place. More people want to be there and people will pay the price. Again, shopping for cheap properties that have no connection to future economics doesn't really make sense to me. Now, we have to understand society is morphing. In 1975, when I was born, 11% of the population, 11% had a university degree. So one in 10 people, you walk down the street, that person was considered quite intellectually gifted. 90% of society actually had no degree at all. In fact, 90% of society in 1975 was socially engineered for the last industrial revolution. They were engineered to work in factories and uh, 
work the uh, you know work work the the factory line so to speak. And of course, people got sick of that, right? They realized that hang on, maybe I could learn something myself and maybe I could run the factory or I could automate the factory. So when I was born, getting a university degree was not needed. In fact, by the time I left school, really none of my friends still to today have a university degree. We were the class of 92, 93, I, I can't remember, but 92, I think it was. Um, and not, none of my friends, like there were 10 of us that were really close in that era and not one of us went on to have a university degree. It wasn't needed. You went straight from school into work and into some fairly good careers at the time. Over the last four decades, we've seen that completely switched on its head. 27% of society today has a university degree. And from Gen X, which is my generation, one in four people uh, have a university degree. In 1975, when I was born, one in 10, okay, one in 10 in that 70s era. Generation Y, which is the millennials, they are now the big market. The millennials are the biggest market out there today. They make up more of society than anyone. The millennials are out and shopping. They're buying real estate. They've been given grants to get out there and buy something. Gen Y, one in three. We went from one in four by Gen X to one in three by Gen Y. But here's the real kicker. The next generation which is turning about 19 or 20 at the moment, Generation Z, 50% of that generation has now a university degree. They are educated and they are looking to live the educated lifestyle. Now, 100% if you're on Facebook, you probably watch Gary V, and Gary V is like, don't even get a university degree. You can run out and become like, you know, uh, do anything from Instagram and so forth. It's kind of true for many parts of the university world. I mean, particularly m marketing, you're probably better off getting some street knowledge. But can you become a doctor by Instagram? No, of course not. Can you become a famous... Could you cure coronavirus by being a social influencer? Probably not, right? So let's get real. Education, university degrees, they create smart people. And smart people, of course, can do amazing things for the world. Now, again, the argument is in your lifetime, you're going to see the evolution of people, probably not even yourself. Around you, your community is growing at a different pace and what they want is arguably changing as well. Schools are no longer just a desk and a pencil. I mean, when I went to school, you literally had a pencil sharpener in the corner. You went over and you sharpened your pencil, came back and wrote out your, your paperwork. I mean, I'm a really beautiful writer. You should see my letter F. People always commenting on my letter F. They love the letter F. Sam's letter F. They're like, show me the F. It's a beautiful F. I have to show you one day. 
Today, people don't need the letter F. They don't type the letter F. And at schools, they're learning some pretty sophisticated things. They're learning things like robotics, engineering at a very, very young age. They're getting to play some amazing, amazing games far superior to when I was a child. When I was a kid, it was, you know, just British Bulldogs and that was about it. You know, you basically went out and got crushed in the yard and that was school. You know, you, if anything, you were jumping on a popper. We weren't intellects. We were little rat bags. Today, these kids, man, they're very, very, very smart. So we've got a smart generation coming through. We know that we are living in a very, very interruptive world, let's face it. I mean, Donald Trump has coronavirus. I mean, that's how disruptive our world is. The big D is down with the big C. It's all going bonkers. So we have to assess risk. And a lot of property investors don't play the game of risk. Number one rule of real estate is to not lose money. So if the number one rule is to not lose money, wouldn't it make sense to actually stop and just think about this a little bit and go, well, am I buying in the right neighborhood? Am I buying the right type of property? Is cheap good? Does demand and prices actually mean something? The fact that people will pay more at an auction or for a suburb or for a certain type of property, does that actually mean it's in bigger and more significant demand? There are some questions you need to ask yourself. A smart city is a big, big buzzword at the moment. Around the globe, smart cities are being developed. The idea of a smart city is a data city. Across the globe, there are data cities evolving. And data cities just work on the basis that we human beings are urbanizing cities faster than ever before. By the time I finish this podcast, 8,000 people would have moved to a city somewhere in the world. So with so much population impacting cities, to run a city, we need some sophisticated elements to make them work. Otherwise, we just don't sustainably link our urbanization and population boom to the environment. So things like data is run by a central system, things like, for example, traffic lights to get around a city, controllers can, through big data, move the cheese when it comes to traffic. So some cities might have a lot of congestion and then all of a sudden city planners take control through smart cities and go out and run the traffic lights. And of course that creates more mobility, more livability, more uh, activity for residents to get around. The smartest city in the world is a place called Songdu, Korea. Yes, Songdu, South Korea. I should, I should clarify that. I don't think the old North Koreans got too many smart cities. Songdu, South Korea, smartest city in the world. And uh, 
its new city to the world. It sits outside of Seoul, about 55 kilometers from Seoul, and it truly is a marvel of how people can live into the future. Smart City itself, it's a bit like the Jetsons. Anyone ever watch the Jetsons, the cartoon, Meet George Jetson? Uh, Probably if you're 40 or something, you remember the Jetsons. The Jetsons was a family that basically lived this sort of robotic lifestyle. They'd press a button, the chicken would be cooked, they'd put their trash in a inclinator and it would be taken down under the world and pushed out to a rubbish dump. Songdu actually is very much like what the Jetsons uh, was, uh, was, was back when it was a TV show. Songdu, you have this kind of automated lifestyle of environmental uh, efficiency. In Songdu, if you put your rubbish in the bin, it will actually get uh, robotically taken to the to be compacted and actually turned into a further energy source. So you've got this kind of like big transformation around the world of energy coming from cities. If we could live in Sydney or Brisbane or Melbourne and what we did created energy, that would be considered fairly smart when it comes to the idea of just being an amazing place to live. The other argument of smart cities is smart by virtue of people. San Francisco is arguably one of the smartest cities in the world. If you look at the university degrees in San Francisco, 43% of people that live in San Francisco actually have a university degree. That is much higher than any other part of the USA. In fact, you can go to New York City and we are at 35%. San Francisco is the knowledge center of the world. It really is one of the smartest cities of the world by virtue of of having smart citizens. And the correlation of real estate prices in San Francisco and smart citizens is exponential. To own real estate in San Francisco, you need a fair bit of dough now to play the game. And again, just more demand, uh, higher prices, and of course, smarter people with higher paying jobs. That is really the idea of a smart location. And I'm a big believer in investing in smart locations. If you had bought in San Francisco before all the smart residents arrived, you would have made an absolute monumental amount of money. Before Apple came, before Microsoft came, before Google came to... Silicon Valley, you obviously had fairly good real estate prices. And of course, then the tech booms came. And today, the tech companies run the world. And because they, because they run the world, they've got the biggest revenue. And because they've got the re- biggest revenues, they can pay the high amount for tertiary or university degrees. And hence why we see so much skilled migration 
into, for example, San Francisco, the top cities of America, Washington, San Francisco, San Jose, Boston, New York, Seattle. These are all highly skilled cities. And where you find skill, you find a correlation of property values increasing. So we want to be a property investor who gets property values that increase. So if our cities are going to be flooded at a broad level with skilled people, well then broadly we should all win. But here in Australia and New Zealand, it's not really going like that. We're finding that smaller areas are being clustered with smarter people and those smaller areas in our cities are becoming even more and more expensive. The argument I have for you is to consider buying in those knowledge precincts and going for the capital growth ride along the way. The global market of smart cities is huge. It is going to be a trillion dollar market of places like Songdo, South Korea. And of course, you're going to see the correlation of the wealth effect in these areas. For me, what matters today isn't where most people will settle. It's actually where most skilled people will settle. That is what is important to me. I don't care that immigration is bringing more people into a city. I care where the skilled part of that immigration is going within the city. It's a big difference. A lot of property investors will invest in areas based on population growth. And of course, all that population growth is, is the inequity or the inability for people to be able to keep up with where most demand is. So they go to less expensive parts of our cities as part of a population shift. The skilled don't. The skilled go where the hospitals are, where the universities are, where the cities are, where the innovation centres are. And the skilled do that because the skilled have money to play the game. They are part of the future economy. If you look at the productivity map of our cities, you will find that our big areas like Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane and, and Melbourne, uh, Perth, you're going to find that there's productivity centres in our cities. Most of them, again, are located around the hospitals, the big universities, the big cities, the innovation centres. This is where the skilled is being linked to the next economy or the current economy, which one could argue is the knowledge economy. Now, why I'm so excited by knowledge and I invest in knowledge precincts for owning real estate as a buy and hold property investor is really knowledge is the economy to bet on. Of course, if you went back 100 years, you would have bet on energy, oil, you would have bet on the magnates of, uh, of, of industry around, around resources. Today, resources uh, is a moot point. Everyone argues over resources. We have wars around the world over resources 
But fundamentally, it's a it's a moot point today. Oil is is washed up. It'll eventually be succeeded, and technology is taking us there. I mean, Tesla is flying to outer space. I mean, that's how crazy Elon Musk has sent rockets up with NASA to outer space. Amazon will have more satellites floating around the world than governments. We are absolutely going into a knowledge sector of the community and of course because that is a big part of the future we are actually going to need to think about well where will the knowledge workers be how will they interface with communities knowledge is now in manufacturing today manufacturing in australia is not you know uh creating some socks or or a t-shirt it's manufacturing robotics that fly rockets to the moon this is the skilled version of manufacturing the skilled economy and of course we've been through the big powerhouse uh, weapons of business the kerry packers the alan bonds of the world in in australia today the the biggest companies of the world again have huge prices apple amazon you know, Microsoft, these companies run the world today. I always say Facebook runs my company. I don't run my company anymore. If I want to lead or some new business, the only way to interface with people is on Facebook. Uh, it's Or a big company is interfacing on my behalf. You're probably listening to this podcast on Apple iTunes. Apple is effectively now controlling my business. Major international companies now control the little guy. And the little guy is really pounding the pavement for those big companies. So we have to appreciate coronavirus has taught us that there is now a perma permanent, almost not employed class. Coronavirus has taught us that the keyboard warrior is absolutely safe in the digital or fidgetal world. And I've done a great talk on fidgetomics. Go back a few podcasts. The keyboard warrior, the office worker, the knowledge worker is absolutely safe. The permanent, almost not employed class is out every day having a go at the coffee shops, at the restaurants, at the at the, uh, you know, the local kiosk. And this class has got a job today, but will this class have a job tomorrow? Could things be automated? Could uh, things be transformed by virtue of the fourth industrial economy? We know that society is being split in two. We know there is social decay occurring. The stepladder of life is being halted, transformed and tipped upside down. So if you're not investing in wellness and you're not investing in knowledge, you're not investing in livability, what are you actually investing in? This is the question I have for property investors. What are you investing in? Well, I'm buying a property 
that's worth $380,000 and it's 60 kilometers from the city or it's 35 kilometers from the city and there's no train line, but it's cheap. Well, slow down, take a breath, start to understand that there are bigger forces at play here. We have a decentralizing economy. By 2030, by 2035, 15 years from now, we potentially will have a global marketplace where you can easily find someone at a cheaper rate in another country to do menial jobs. It's already happening now. A lot of menial tasks, a multinational uh, or, or multi-world uh, jobs. You know, people do jobs for me in Manila and in, in, in Argentina today. So the decentralizing is going to continue. Now, I'll, you know, take you back to a visual. In 2004, you had a Nokia in your, phone, uh, in your hand and you were playing Snake. That's what you were doing. You had the Nokia, you're on the bus and you're playing Snake. Today, your iPhone can do anything. It is the most powerful device that has ever been invented. The uh, transformation 15 years from now will even supersede anything we've seen today. We are introducing 5G into the community. We are uh, going to see a massive impact of transformation of wealth to knowledge. And that is the one thing I want you to walk away from this podcast. The transformation of wealth to knowledge is absolutely unfolding. We live in a time of zero overhead growth. It costs nothing to do this podcast and put it on iTunes. Zero overhead. Once upon a time, I'd need five people here shooting me in a studio, recording me. Zero overhead. I can compete with Today FM. Oz Stereo Network. I am literally with my podcasts on some days top 20 podcasts in business in Australia. I am competing with the establishment that have big wages, big overheads. They have to pay radio hosts. They have to pay uh, rent. I'm working from my home, zero overhead, doing a podcast. Don't underestimate the value of investing in knowledge communities. They are going to disrupt the real estate marketplace. The energy storage capabilities of just your iPhone is fundamentally going to transform society. There are five major disruptors in tech. DNA sequencing, robotics, energy storage, artificial intelligence, blockchain tech. These are decentralizing economics. They are transforming the way everything works. So do I think it's a smart idea to go to some of the worst parts of our cities and buy real estate? I think it's a terrible idea. And people will probably ridicule me for saying it, but I absolutely think you're investing in the wrong part of the economy. The right part of the economy is where the knowledge is centered and knowledge companies run the world. You know, Amazon, uh, Microsoft, Apple have more GDP than Australia. They have more GDP than India. 
than India. There is a billion people in India. You've got more gross domestic product than India. These companies are huge, guys, and they are monopolizing the world. You will, in the future, get a Google Home Loan. You will get an Amazon credit card. Google has applied for a banking license. And it's no wonder why, because they have all the data. They can see all of your uh, particulars. They can quite easily determine your spending habits. And, of course, give you money because they've got all the money. You have to think smart. Remember what Warren Buffett said, if the market was to stop for 10 years, what real estate would you hold? Well, I'll tell you what I'm not holding is real estate where the inequality of society is being affected the most. Why? Because where are all the jobs for that part of society going to be? That is the question. Yeah, we all need a coffee and we all need, you know, a night out and we all need to go to a restaurant. But will restaurant workers really have the cash and money to play the real estate game into the future? Will society be stuck because of the fundamentals of just, you know, millennials only earning a certain amount of money? Demand and prices go hand in hand. Apple's share price is enormous. Why? Because it's got huge amounts of demand. It's not a penny stock. If you treat real estate like finding a penny stock, you're going to end up penniless. That is a real prediction. Don't mess with this stuff. Livability, lifestyle, mobility, live, work, play. These are some of the names you have to acquaint yourself with. If you want my model, I'll send it to you. All you got to do is see the visual of the model and go, am I buying in a wellness area? Am I buying in a knowledge area? Am I buying livability? These are the things that are going to safeguard you. Livability is buying next to the beach. I'm 45 metres to the beach right now. As soon as this podcast is done, I'm going to go cool off in the harbour. I'm going to jump in the water and, and freshen up. Livability. I have a very livable lifestyle. Most people don't have a livable lifestyle. The demand wants a livable lifestyle. So what are smart local government areas in Australia? What, what can we invest in if we're looking for these smart areas? Where are they? What are, what are they? Where do we find them? And I'll bring it back to what I said before. What matters today isn't where most people settle, but where the greatest number of the most skilled people settle. This is the most important lesson. This is the value bomb. You have to go where the most skilled people are settling. Now, smart local government areas, and I'll explain what a local government area is because here in Australia, you know, we have this fetish of saying a city is in a city in a city, right? It's like really weird. So we got Sydney, and then in Sydney, we've got the city of Manly, or we've got the city of Ryde, or we've got, um, and so they're not actually cities. They're just suburbs clustered 
So you'll get like 10 or 15 suburbs clustered together and they will call it, you know, the Shire of Manly or the City of Manly, or the City of Parramatta. And of course, it's just a terminology. The big city is Sydney. The little place is the local government area. So for ease of understanding, I think it's really important to consider what local government areas are really strong when it comes to skill and really going through that San Francisco effect. More tertiary people living in them, higher skilled economy, more money coming into that economy. Suburbs are just economies. If you've got more skill in your economy, your suburb will go up in value. So the pillars of smart neighbourhoods are firstly a smart economy, secondly a smart society, thirdly a smart environment and fourth a smart governance rules. So again it all sounds pretty tricky and rather interesting. Where does the rubber meet the road? Well in Australia around 27% of local government areas are considered smart. So isn't that interesting? Because the millennials, one in three, have a university degree. Now, one in three, or thereabouts, suburbs is considered smart. So we are seeing the actual shift of university degrees and the correlation of areas. So people and areas are now fairly well matching up. So top performing government areas are located, again, near hospitals, universities, innovation centres, and of course, CBDs. And we are also seeing, which I think is really interesting, that strong performance of knowledge and smarts occurs in, wait for it, livable or wellness areas. Remember what I'm trying to tell you. You got three things you can bet on. Livability, wellness or knowledge. You can do them all three if you can find the right property, but I guarantee you it's probably going to be expensive because the demand for that would be high. But we are seeing strong performance in around 27% of our suburbs. So smart suburbs have a smart economy, smart transport, smart environment, smart living, smart government, smart people, smart healthcare, smart buildings, smart energy, smart society, and many also have smart homes. So here's a big tip. When you think about real estate, Quite often, we think about it the wrong way. We think about it as the prospective future rather than the resilience of loss. For me, I am all about betting on the resilience of loss rather than the hope of a penny stock becoming Apple. The resilience is betting on Apple. Remember, Live, work, play, mobility, wellness, knowledge are part of my urban behavioral economy model. I can easily show you how it works. 
when we track smart cities, we also note that there are some pretty gun pockets. Now, I've invested in smart cities, and when I say smart cities, there I go again, smart suburbs, because obviously Parramatta's in Sydney, you can invest in Parramatta, and it's a city, but it's actually a suburb. Bit confusing. So, I've invested in smart suburbs, or smart local government areas. In fact, I've invested heavily in one of the smartest local government areas in Melbourne. That area is the city of Yarra. It's an innovation city. The city of Yarra has suburbs like Fitzroy, Richmond, Cremorne, Abbotsford, Carlton. They are gun suburbs, but they are also part of a really interesting city. That local government area is poised to again create more jobs in innovation. Walt Disney operates a business there. Tesla operates a business there. A lot of the tech companies operate businesses in the local government area of Yarra. So it is an innovation cluster. In other words, innovative companies position themselves next to each other in this local government area. So I bought there and settled a property 2019, I think early 19. And by the start of 2020, I'd made around 100,000. Made around 100,000. Now, the rest of Melbourne hadn't necessarily gone up by around $100,000 or about, I think it was about 15% in value. But the smart area of this precinct had. So again, I think we're starting to see the splitting of the atom here, that smart areas will get further and better capital growth because again, more university degrees, higher wages, more, more growth in wages, the ability for people to pay more for what is in demand. No one is rushing out to the boonies to buy a property because it's not in demand. No one wants the 1960s apartment 25 kilometres from the city because it's not in demand. People are even avoiding many knockdown properties in middle suburbia because they're no longer in demand. All of a sudden, where people can live local, and if they are living local to innovation areas, smart precincts, they will spend on real estate. The smartest precinct, according to... Uh, Studies, the smart city studies in here in Australia, North Sydney, Willoughby, Mossman. I mean, have you driven through Mossman lately? You can tell this is a smart neighbourhood. There is a lot of money in that particular neighbourhood, a lot of wealth. Now, the correlation, of course, is Mossman is a tricky one, right? Mossman, Sydney is expensive. We want to find an emerging Mossman, Sydney so that we can create some wealth from it. 
So places that bring people together, diverse talent, accelerate the economic evolution of people. And innovation or smart neighborhoods do this. So for me, I am investing in the top 100 smart neighborhoods. I'm doing it for a reason. I think they will perform well in the economy of tomorrow into the economy of the future. So check them out. Maybe they're for you. Maybe they're not. But I can assure you society is going to be split and you don't want to be betting on the almost not having a job part of the marketplace. Of course, we are seeing the evolution of smart homes and smart homes can happen anywhere. I really love smart homes. I'm also investing in the idea that, well, people will be prepared to pay more rent into the future if they have a technology-based property that they can rent off you. Things like having uh, access to electric car charging, things like having home automation. These are all elements which are starting to reframe society. So I tell you what, guys, I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. I hope uh, I get to speak to you soon and talk more about property. I'm going to duck down to the beach and have a bit of a swim. Cool down from the podcast. Tell you what, it's about 300 degrees where I'm sitting. I feel like I'm baking in an oven. I'm like a chicken baking. But I've enjoyed the show. Hey, until next time, Sam Saggers signing off. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. And I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.